Hey, everybody. I'm Trevor Noah. And I'm David Kabuka. And we are so excited to bring you this episode of the Trevor Noah podcast from Luminary. We've been grappling with everything that has been going on this year, from COVID-19 to the protests against police brutality, and we're excited to share our conversations with you. For more episodes of the Trevor Noah podcast, check out Luminary, a subscription podcast network with original shows you won't find anywhere else. We have dozens of episodes up on Luminary right now, plus all new conversations coming September 2nd. So sign up and start listening with a seven-day free trial at luminary.link slash Trevor Noah. Not available in all markets. Terms apply. From Luminary, this is the Trevor Noah podcast. I'm Trevor Noah, joined as always by my good friend, David Kibuka. I feel like my even better friend because of COVID-19. I mean, we're always good friends. Yes, but I'm saying my better friend. Yeah. People always go like, who would you want to be with in like an apocalypse? And I wouldn't have chosen you, can I say? Yeah. I wouldn't have chosen you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I choose people based on who I think I would be wanting to get romantic with. And so I wouldn't pick you there. Also, I pick who I think I would enjoy eating. Who would give me the most sustenance? Yes. Unfortunately, because of your body type, I have never thought of you as the kind of person who would sustain me for longer than maybe a week. No, I wouldn't sustain you, but you'd enjoy eating my ankles. Ankles and knees. I've never thought of that. Because I've got knobbly knees. You know when a dog chews a bone? Yeah. He'd be like that. They'd be like, what are you doing? I'm eating Dave's nobly knees. <laughs> Delicious. But I can safely say you have been one of the most pleasurable people to be stuck inside with. Uh, because of how you see the world. Because you, you know what it is? Yes. You don't feel like you're trapped inside. No, I'm not really trapped inside. Yes, but that's what makes it wonderful to be trapped inside with you. Oh, well, I mean, it's been great to be with you as well. Because I feel like there's an I love you moment that's happening imagine, here now. Imagine, you know being, I mean? imagine being trapped in a prison cell with someone. Yes. And your cellmate always tells you about like countries they visited. But they've been in the jail oh, cell yeah. with you the okay, whole time. Yes, so yes. every morning you wake up and you're like, ah, how was last night? And they're like, fantastic. I went to Peru. What a gorgeous experience. Yes. Machu Picchu is a wonder. Then Nightmare. I'm like, what? You didn't go anywhere. They're like, yes, but I feel like I went somewhere. That person, I wouldn't mind being in a cell with them for a long time because they make me feel like I am not trapped at all. And okay, so that's great. what it's been like with you. Oh, thank you. It's been very good with you as well. As I say, this is an I love you moment. You're a very entertaining and talented person. So that's. Uh, I feel like you're struggling to give me compliments no, right no, now. No, I'm thinking about the good things about no, you. No, but I, I didn't give this to you so that you'd give me anything in return. Yeah. I just wanted to let you know this. No, no. I mean, I, I do feel that. But I mean, we at the moment, you know what I mean? When there's an I love you moment, you must no, but also I, no, no, say but you see, I, I'll never say it without the moment. So, um, uh, so you've also been great. Um, one thing that's good about you is that you are very determined. This is a determined person. And so I've always felt that that is a, a great quality that you have. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Um, <laughs> on, on, an, on an honest level, I'm though. Joking. How, I'm how joking. You, no, but on a real level, okay, though, yes. how have you, have you worked on your mental health in this time? Or has it not even been a factor for you during this time? Or has it actually been a positive for you? Because some people during Corona yes. have found that they've actually been able to, like, work more on themselves and enjoy it. And some people have gone, this is the hardest time for them. What have you experienced? I've experienced it being uh, one of my greatest times, personally. Why? Because of the lack of noise. So that is the... Like construction in New York. One, although I do like the construction in New York, I always think of it like a type of animal. 
like when I go and when I hear construction, I think I'm in the concrete jungle. Because we know when we, we heard concrete jungle. Yes. So you feel like you're on safari, but safari. instead of a lion, there's a jackhammer. Yeah. It's like, like the difference between, let's say, acoustic music and like heavy metal or, yes. or like rock music. I That's like, a powerful way I to like think of it. I've never thought of that. Yeah, I That's don't a, mind the noise. It's okay, like okay, okay. You don't mean that noise then specifically. You're saying less noise as in? Less noise as in personal, interactive noise. Are you saying other human beings? Other human beings, yes. Oh, okay. So, and, and I like other human beings. I mean, we've discussed this in other podcasts. Our faithful listeners would probably be going like, didn't he say this all the time? No. But I, I have felt that this has been a great time for me because living in New York City, the city that never sleeps, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so w- when this all happened, from a personal point of view, I was like, oh, okay, it is the city we, that never sleeps. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to sleep. That's true, man. That's poignant, actually. So, Sometimes you need to sleep. Yeah. So it's been refreshing. I've really enjoyed it. I really You've used it for what you can use it for. Yeah. And then in terms of mental states, I think extroverts would obviously have a difficult time. Right. But I'm not an extrovert in that way. I have an introvert mode. Are you an extrovert with introvert tendencies or an introvert with extrovert tendencies? I just have things to do. So sometimes the things that you need to do are extrovert things. Uh-huh. Other times they're introvert things. Yeah, that makes so sense. So if you go to a party, you want to be... An extrovert. Enjo- yeah, you're you at a party. Yeah, exactly. So Because the worst is when you, you do it at the wrong place. You know, like... I think that's what happens with subway masturbators. Yes. You're doing a healthy thing in an unhealthy environment. Yes. Because many doctors will recommend self-pleasure. Yes. But then when you move it to the subway, what you have created is a situation for both yourself and other people. Mostly for other people. Yes. Because we are going, wow, this is happening. Yes. So, yes. So, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Overall, the economy is having a terrible time. The health is having a terrible time. The world's having a terrible time. But I myself have made the best of the situation. I have made the best of the situation to the point where it's like almost like collateral damage. Sometimes I feel bad. You know, like I feel bad that I feel so good. I know that I have enjoyed being forced to take time off from certain things. Yeah, but you're a workaholic. Okay. I'd, I like to think I just work a lot. Aholic. That means I have a problem. Yes. Okay. I like to think I work a lot, but I've been forced to take time off, which has been an, an, a surprising blessing. I didn't even realize how burned out I was by life until I took this time. So I've enjoyed that. I also am genuinely lucky. For me, in this moment, I'm glad that I do not have kids. Just in Corona specifically. Yes. That's the one thing where like, man, I feel bad for people who have kids and like are just like struggling, like raising them and the kids themselves. And because like it's also like an age range. Yes. Because babies are fine. I mean, babies are babies. Babies are like we don't do CNN really. We just find that it's not conducive to being a baby. But then there's like children. There's a range of children who are like struggling at home with their families. And there's a lot of parents who go, I loved my kids until I had to spend all day with them. And now I'm like, you know what I mean? If someone gave me the option of making them into child soldiers and sending them away, I wouldn't say no immediately, is where I think a lot of yes, parents are right now. there'd be a pause, and then... And then I'd say no. I'd say no. I would be like, what did you just say, Joseph Coney? Uh, how no. dare you? Yeah, how dare you? How yes. dare you? Yes. But I actually wonder, because everyone's talking about mental health of adults. Yes. But I wonder, like, if anyone is talking, or I haven't seen a lot of people talking about kids, and that's what I wanted us to talk about today. What do you tell kids 
in the situation. I wonder whether it's a, a circumstance of trying to go back to when you were a child and then thinking, what do you wish your parents would have told you if this was happening? I wonder if that's a good strategy. I just know that if this was happening to me and I was a child right now in lockdown with my parents, I know that there would be a few beatings that I would be receiving because of the things I would be doing because I'd be locked down in the house. You know what I often wondered? The thing with children is that they have too much energy. I guess, yeah. Yeah, and so... Some would argue they don't have enough places to... To get rid of it. Expel their energy. Yes. Which is why, if I may take a moment, I have a proposal for everyone who's listening out there. I think as society, we have a valuable lesson to learn. And maybe Corona is even teaching us this. I think we have to get more kids into the workforce at a young age and pause school. Now, hear me out on this. I know a lot of people think of child labor. I'm not talking about child labor per se. I'm talking about kids getting into the workforce. I know it sounds like the same thing, but it's not. If you look at kids, what do kids love doing? Kids love working. Yes. You give kids blocks. They want to build things. They, they want to sweep. They want to vacuum. Kids don't like playing. They like working. Yes. They also don't have attention spans in school. And then whenever people get older, what do they say? I wish I paid more attention in school because there's so many things I want to learn now that I didn't learn. Yes. And so I propose a system where we put kids in school for the formative, just early years, ABC, one, two, three. What is early years? You know, like ABC, one, two, three. What ages are those? I don't know because I don't know when you're doing ABC, one, two, three, depending on countries. It's a well-researched plan that we have here. It's a proposal. It's not a plan. It's a proposal. Okay. Because I need to get people in with me before I now spend money on research. Okay. And then what we do is when we when kids now know how to count and read and do basic things, we then put them into the workforce. Yes. And they like go and work in safe environments, obviously. Yes. So if it's a factory, it's a factory where you can't chop your fingers off type thing. Yes. And then when kids have worked for a few years, then they go back to school where they'll now appreciate their lives as kids. Because they'll be like, this is a holiday. I'm, they'll be like, man. I'm like in the Bahamas now. Exactly. Yeah, I get to hang with my friends. That work was a bit much. Yes. I and so a- that's, sorry, that's what I was just interrupting your will to say that is like, I just feel like, because Corona, who does Corona hit the most? The elderly. Yes. It's a great time to get kids into the workforce. So, I mean, you may have made a improvement on my idea. My idea was, how come children aren't used to as a source of electricity? I always think that they have a lot of they have a lot of energy. So if you got like you know an exercise bike, yes, and put them on the exercise bike, and they then just generate they power. just generate power. I think that's a genius so idea. So whenever they want to do a thing, yes, you go like okay, you want to watch TV. You link it so that you have to generate the power to watch TV. I'm loving this. Dave. So then I want to invest in this. Yeah. Company. So then you're going. So then kids are young, so they don't know. There's could another just way. Switch on the TV, yes. They would just be aware that the activities that they do, you know, their iPad, all you of those You want to play video games? Yeah. You pedal on the bicycle while you're playing the video games. Or, or before you do some time and yes. then you get it to a level. I'm loving Then this. you can play. Kid so, power. Yes. So that Mental health, great for the kids. Great for the kids. Exercising. Exercising. They all of those. I'm loving this, And Dave. then what would happen is they would never have too much energy. True. Because they would be like, man, I wanted to play Mario and whew, I think I rode the Tour de France. So that was my proposal. I think we would be great at raising kids. Yeah. We should adopt kids and try these things. Yes, as long as they don't know that there's another way. No, I agree with they, you. They will actually feel proud. You'd be like, wow, son, you watched Forrest Gump the whole movie. Yes. Yeah. This is one of the most exciting ideas I've ever thought, like yeah. I've ever heard. Yes. Until they find out that, oh, it's like a Santa Claus kind of thing, that they didn't have to do this. Then your kids use that energy to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all. Kid power is what we call this company. Kid power. Kid power. Yes. You have a hyperactive kid. Use that activity to generate energy for your house. Yeah. And people can even brag about it. Yeah. Oh, your house. Well, did you have solar panels? No, I have five kids. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. 
Dad, can I use your iPad? Yeah, you're going to have to pedal for 20 minutes. Yeah. Of course. Then he's there already. Yeah. I like that idea a lot. I'm yes. trying to think of different ways to help kids. Yes. As you know, I love children in a healthy way. As a former child, yes. proud former child, I wish there were more ways that we would not just like listen to kids, but learn how to help them and their brains. I think what would be helpful with the kids now, as a person who knows nothing about children, is if they taught them uh, certain life skills earlier. I think that in the development of a child, they take on a perception of the world. And so the parents just are, are not specific with this perception of the world that the children are supposed to take on. They just are concerned about chores and all these kind of things. Are you saying like people need to try and help contextualize what's happening with kids? There's a point when as a child you're not a skeptic. Ah, yes. yes. Okay, yes. That's, so that's, that's the most crucial, I yes. imagine in my head, that's the most crucial point of childhood is when you're not a skeptic. But what we do is we tell them skeptical things. So like Santa Claus and stuff, it adds a layer of deceit that is maybe not helpful. So you're saying my thing of telling my nephews that there's a Corona Santa is not a good idea? I would say that... Because I've just been telling my nephews, they go, what's happening? Yeah. And I say, you know how there's Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy? There's also this other guy, his name's Bruce. And Bruce is going around the world and he's making people very sick. Then they're like, how oh, is Bruce going to come to our house? Then I go like, oh, if you're good, Bruce won't come to your house. But if you're old, Bruce is going to kill you. You see, so it's, now... It's my way of trying to explain to kids. You see, so now that kind of trickery. <laughs> that, you see, it's it's not... Because nobody, because no, as I'm a child, joking. I know what you mean. Yeah, I know but what you, you know, mean. Bruce, who's no, I know what killing you mean, but people this is what in the world. To kids, essentially, Bruce is. This is well. Bruce. You know what? Let's bring in. Let's wow. bring in an expert in this, because this is one of the topics I'm genuinely passionate about. I think because people can just become parents, they're then unpleasantly surprised by the pitfalls that come with having a kid, and you know it's what I mean. Very difficult. Yeah, I mean, like like now, coronavirus. A lot of parents are like, I don't know what to do, and so maybe maybe our next guest can help you out. His name is Harold Koplowitz, and he is the president and medical director of the Child Mind Institute, an institute for all of child's minds, Dave. That's amazing. Where your mind was made as a child. This is where they manufactured it, I think. Harold, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure, and it's actually a pleasure to listen to the two of you. I didn't realize how childish both of you are and how much fun <laughs> it is <laughs> to just listen to. I love that kid power business, too, you know. Harold, if we have you in on this, yes. I mean, you can lend credibility to this endeavor that nobody yes. else could. When we do the infomercial. Can you imagine one podcast and the entire 30-year career goes down the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for disappointing you with the with the kid power business, but thank you so much for being on. Let's talk about one of the biggest issues that's really troubling so many parents or caregivers out there right now, and that is how to deal with kids in the age of coronavirus. People are at home with their kids like never before. You know, we, we, we've been reading statistics about abuse going up in households. We've been seeing parents struggling with kids because now more than ever, people are, you know, locked in a space that they previously weren't. What has your experience been? Let's start with that because I know you're still seeing patients. You're still dealing with people. What, what have you found are some of the biggest challenges people are facing with their kids right now? The way to think about it is there are four categories of kids. There's the biggest bucket, which is the normal developing happy-go-lucky kid who's 60% of the population. They do mm -hmm. well in school. They have friends. Their parents like them. They like their parents. That group now doesn't have school. 
They are worried about maybe their father losing his job. They're worried that grandma might die. They have stress and strain on them that they didn't have before. So they might start to show you signs and symptoms of that kind of anxiety. The next group is about 15% of the population. These are kids who are subclinical, a little more moody, a little more inattentive, maybe a little weird or odd than the average kid, but their symptoms never cause them enough distress or dysfunction to ever go to see a mental health professional. This kind of stress and strain kind of like pushes them over the edge. Then you have 20% of the population that have a real common treatable mental health disorder. And unfortunately, at best, 40% of them are being treated on a good day. So you can only imagine what someone who has obsessive compulsive disorder or someone who has depression or someone who has ADHD in the house is going through. So those kids are very symptomatic. The last part is 5%. These are individuals with very serious illness, schizophrenia, low-functioning autism. And traditionally or historically, individuals who are so emotionally or cognitively impaired are not affected by these kinds of events. They, they just don't understand them. But this pandemic has affected the supply chain. So their medicines are not available in their pharmacy. Their day treatment programs, their social groups have all been disbanded. Huh. So we have an event going on in America now that truly affects every child's mental health. Now, there'll be some kids who are very resilient, but overwhelmingly, you're seeing the kids are starting to have symptoms. And it's gonna be very difficult for mom and dad to be able to address this when the system is basically in lockdown. Where do people even begin then? Because I mean, you know, as, as you've said, so few of the kids who need help have been getting the help. A lot of parents may not be equipped to do it. So if you're a parent right now and you've got a kid who's at home and you're struggling with any issue, like where do you think a parent even begins? Should they try and maintain a usual schedule? Should they try and, you know, carry on as if life is normal, you know, in in terms of learning online, et cetera? Or is there another way to approach coronavirus with your child? So structure is really important for all kids, but particularly for kids who are anxious and for kids who have attentional problems. So the idea that structure, 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 you wake up at the same time in the morning, you're going to brush your teeth, you're going to change, you're not going to stay in your pajamas, we're going to have breakfast, we're going to have a routine that actually works. We're also going to do everything in bite-sized pieces. We're going to deal with this week. And so how are we going to deal with school? How are we going to go to sleep at a normal time? When are we going to have pizza? Keep a regular routine. But when's movie night? And for a lot of kids, that will work. But there's two Mm -hmm. things you have to add. Kids need physical activity. And in fact, we know that cardiovascular activity is good for all of us. It actually keeps dementia away. It's good for treating, you know, the precursors to depression and anxiety. So getting a child to do 20 minutes of cardio, which might mean taking them for a fast walk or putting them on an exercise bicycle at least once, if not twice a day, is a good idea. And then mindfulness exercises. You know, let's not worry about 10 minutes from now. Let's just be in the moment and feel ourselves breathing and just feel the minute. And the second thing, or the third thing, I guess, is gratitude. Parents should actually find a moment on a daily basis, maybe at dinner time, why they feel grateful. You know, before the two of you were talking about how grateful you are. You're inside a house, you have plenty of food, you like the person you're with, you're actually looking at the silver lining. You're saying, you know, I hope this doesn't go on forever, but for the time that it's been going on, it's actually been therapeutic for me and actually positive. So being able to show kids how you are feeling in a positive way and how they could look at this as half full versus half empty is actually very important. 
Wow. Just one technical question I'm asking. What ages are we talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Let's break it down to under five, between five and 12, and 12 to, let's say, 22. Right. So for me, when I was saying the workforce, I was saying five to 12, but carry on, Harold. That's what I was. <laughs> no. That's who I was okay. inducting into the workforce. Trevor, let's really hold off on that idea. <laughs> let's just really table it, and maybe we'll re-examine it once COVID is over, and yeah. maybe okay, it won't deal. be that positive on when you look at it. But under five... Because are these things you're saying for like all the ranges, or is it for specific... I actually think that that's not bad advice for all kids. But we have to remember the language we use. So under five, it can be a very scary time. Thankfully, most parents are not telling their kid there's the COVID Santa named Bruce. And so that they are (laughs) explaining that there is a virus out there that's very catchy and it can make some people very sick. And that's why we wash our hands, you know, for 20 seconds. You know, we sing happy birthday twice. Why, when we go outside, we wear a mask, not only to protect ourselves, but to protect our neighbors. Uh, mm-hmm. The reason why we're not going to visit grandma right now is because, you know, she's more than 60 years old. And so when she gets sick, she might get more symptoms. I think it's important to speak to your kids in a developmentally appropriate language. And we mm-hmm. want to protect you and we want to protect uh, the other people we love. And you have to remember that little kids, in fact, all kids tend to be very self-absorbed. They don't want to die. They have to be reassured that they're not going to die. You have to reassure them that you're not going to die. For instance, if someone hears about a friend getting divorced, they're really not that caring or empathetic to their friend's parents' divorce. They want to be reassured that their parents aren't going to be getting divorced. And is is this a healthy, normal thing? Right. This is typical. In fact, we teach kids over time to be more empathic to other people at holidays or the whole attitude of being grateful. Why are we Mm -hmm. lucky? Why should we invest our time and effort in volunteer positions? Why do we give money to the church? Or why do we give money to homeless shelters? Because we care about others. But you have to understand that most young kids are very worried about themselves. So when you can reassure them that you have, you know, it's like a fire drill. In case you get sick, we have a really good pediatrician. In case I get sick, Mm -hmm. it's going to be okay. Most people who get COVID do not get very ill. They have a very bad time of it, and then they get well. So we're prepared. What happens for kids and parents where they're used to so many things that have maybe been, you know, like release valves? They run. They hang out with their friends. You know, like, for instance, I, I remember my little brother was saying to me, he's like, man, I'm, I'm in the house with mom the whole time. And he's like, I don't see my friends. It's just been me and mom for a month. And, and then I thought of that and I was like, I'll be going crazy right now. Yeah. He died and went to hell. You know? Yeah, <laughs> because you, you take for granted that you have your friends, you have your outlets, you have your... How do parents find the balance between... It's like you now have to be your kids' friends because they don't have their friends there. You still have to be their parents and then you have to be their support while also being your own mental support. How do you encourage people, especially parents, to not snap at their kids and to not... Because that, I mean, this is prime yeah. snapping territory where it's just like, shut the hell up, Aiden, I'm trying my best. So Trevor, there's a lot of evidence that when you have a crisis like this, that you will have more domestic violence, you will have more hopelessness. When you have hopelessness, Mm -hmm. you have people trying to hurt themselves. So there's no doubt that this is pretty dangerous. And therefore, parents should follow some guidelines. So first of all, parents should be able to tell their kids if they're having a tough time and how they cope with having a tough time. We recently 
started a campaign called Hashtag We Thrive Inside, asking famous people how they were trying to maintain their mental health inside the house and how are they helping their kids. And some people were incredibly authentic and genuine saying that this was really a challenge, that the way they did that was that they took timeouts, they avoided cable news, they took a walk or a run every single day. Mm -hmm. When they spent time with their kids, they structured it and they were reading to their kids more than ever. They were watching movies that they always wanted to watch with their kids but could never find the time to do this. They were eating Mm -hmm. meals together, which is really an important uh, component because it's concentrated 20 minutes or 30 minutes of time where you can be together. They were also doing chores together. Mm-hmm. I think the kids who are having the most difficulty are teenagers. And if you think about what it would be like to lose two months or three months of high school or two or Oof. three months or a semester of college, right. you don't get that back. You're not getting another junior prom or a senior prom. You're not getting the casual hookups. You know, someone was talking to me about how when they're in college in a lecture hall and they have a completely absurd professor, they lean over to the person next to them and say, did you understand a word that guy just said? Yeah. And that intimacy, which might turn into a cup of coffee and into a friendship or turn into nothing, that has disappeared with these screens. Now, for the rest of us, this is going to be a blip. You're going to talk about this years from now, how you hung out together and you and how he went on your nerves or he didn't go on your nerves, how you came up with some crazy ideas that would have put you in jail. And nevertheless, <laughs> it will be a blip for teenagers who lost out on that dating or on that semester or on the graduation. That's something that parents have to acknowledge and say, look, it's not life or death, but it sucks. And I can see why you're really upset by this and validate their loss. You know, you can't minimize the fact that their experience is worse than yours. I think that's a thing that a lot of parents struggle with, not even just parents. It is always difficult for older generations to validate the struggles of a younger generation because it always feels benign in comparison. When a kid tells you, let's say at the youngest age, I lost my toy, then you're like, it's a toy. You've got so many other toys. You get to another age, they go like, oh man, I haven't hung out with my friends for a month. And as a parent, you're going... I can't pay the rent right now. I don't know if my job is going to be on tech. You're worried about your friends. And I think it's hard to be in a space where you go, your thing is as big as my thing is to me. Or more importantly, it's just big to you. Right. That's what I mean. I, I always find that, you know, the Abraham Lincoln story, he walked 12 miles in the snow every day to school. Right. Everything compared to that seems like a day in the park, right? So you take right. two subways and a bus to school. When I was a kid, you know, I mm-hmm. played yes. snow and sleet and I still, you know, I walked 100 miles. I mean, it's nonsense. It doesn't really mean anything. My parents were... Um, Holocaust survivors. And we used to do this running thing where my mother would say, what do you mean you had a bad day at work? The Holocaust is over. Your father's not in the concentration camp. I would say, I don't really care, mom. I had a miserable day. I'm really glad the Holocaust is over, but I had a miserable day. Do you know? But it takes, by the way, a very assertive 12-year-old to tell his mother that instead of feeling crushed by the fact that, you know, what they're going through is so much bigger than yours. But now let me ask you this. As much as you were assertive as a 12-year-old, do you think a lot of that also has to do with how your mother encourages you to be assertive? Because for you to say to your mother, I don't care about the Holocaust, I'm having a tough time, 
I feel like a parent has to encourage that kind of thinking or even like freedom of expression in a healthy way within a family. So it's a complete sidebar, but we should talk about it for a second, nurture and nature. Mm -hmm. So you get born into a family and every time mm -hmm. the DNA mixes out differently, right? You get 23 from one parent, right. 23 from another. Right. So in the same family, everyone could look alike, but you could have an introvert, you could have an extrovert, you could have a math gift, or you could have a musical gift. That's nature. And what you do with it is the nurture part. So there right. is no doubt that considering how optimistic my parents were and how remarkably right. resilient they were, I got some of that. I have to tell you, I'm optimistic even in this environment. I am convinced that the new normal will be, will be better than the normal because I think that if everyone's experiencing some mental health symptoms, you're going to be a lot more sympathetic and empathic to people who suffer every single day when we get out of here. And I think it will embolden us to say to our employers, to our schools, to our government officials, mental health really matters. Because right. I think crises and emergencies sometimes give us the opportunity to change things as we know them. And yet mm -hmm. it's still a horrible event. I mean, I, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. And this will go down, by the way, as one of the worst things in our lives because of the economics, because of the yeah. social yeah. changes. We've never experienced anything like this. You know, hopefully there will be antivirals, there will be a vaccine, but it will be a new normal. For instance, I think the other silver lining is telehealth, teleeducation. The fact that as a child psychiatrist for, what, 30 years, I never thought you could do this on screens. 98% of our patients at the Child Mind Institute are coming to us on screens right now. And more importantly, there's no borders. So we are running a group for socially anxious kids and one girl's from Arkansas and one boy's from Arizona and six of them are from the New York City metropolitan area oh, wow. and they're on a Zoom group. Do you find that the kids are sharing as freely as they would in a room? Do they still have the same intimacy and security that they normally would over video? Like, do they accept the reality? Because I know I was hesitant to continue my therapy over video. I was like, that's not going to work. And I actually found that it works surprisingly well. So it's interesting because 98% of the patients who are pre-existing patients have been continuing with us. And mm -hmm. the overwhelming majority of patients who are new, we're a big organization. We're in San Francisco. Right. We're in New York. We really are seeing thousands of kids. All of a sudden, we went from 70 new patients a week to four new patients a week. So not everyone's adopting wow. the idea that we get to meet and we get to expose ourselves on a screen because a mm -hmm. good psychiatrist or psychologist essentially says, keep your clothes on, but I still want you naked. I want you to mm. show me what's in your heart. And so what we've gotten instead is we're getting very symptomatic kids. We're getting kids directly released from an inpatient unit at McLean's at Harvard. And they're really, you know, it's not typical that you would meet someone on a screen who just came out of the hospital. That we're taking care of. But I think parents who have a dyslexic child or an ADD kid or an anxious kid is saying, why don't we wait a bit before we start this this process? But I do think in the long run, this is going to be part of American medicine from now on. I was thinking... Um, uh when you're speaking about the teenagers having a tough time, does it help that they are all having a tough time? So it's like if you miss your graduation alone, you know, because that happens to some people. I, like, I, like I missed my prom because my date didn't want to get out of the car. Yeah. This is, no, this is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, yeah. I know this sounds like a complete yes. joke, but it's like one of the things till this day where I always have like a little tinge in my heart sometimes yes, when we, I see a prom and I go, I never got to experience prom because she didn't get out of the car. Yeah. Trevor, that, that, we definitely want to explore that, but not now. That's definitely <laughs> hanging there, right? Yes, but yes. I'm asking. So yeah, sorry, carry on, Dave. So no, you're saying- No, so that's the exact thing I'm saying. 
when you are dealing with people, is it a little bit easier to deal with people who go, this is happening to everybody, a teenager who goes like, this happened to all of us, rather than one who's like, this happened to just me? There's no doubt the fact that we're in it together, that message that we keep sending out again and again, we're in it together, certainly makes it a little bit better for certain teenagers. But I think, go back to what I said before about nurture and nature. There are certain yes. people who are really resilient, who basically said, yep, this sucks. I'm really unhappy, but let's move on. And there are other people who, even though the entire class missed the prom or everyone's not going to graduation, they just feel it more. So oh. remember, there's that group of kids who are subclinical. There's a group of kids who have a mental health disorder. Mm. It's almost like their skin gets burnt easier than somebody else's skin. So I, I think that there's an individual difference, but there's no doubt that there's, I think, this group feeling of we are going to do better. And do you get any um, lessons from previous, I suppose the previous disasters happened such a long time ago? So let's think about 9-11, okay? 9-11, yes, and, and, and yes. I literally was there. We were ready to take care of all these people who are going to survive 9-11. And instead, we landed up taking care of all the survivors. So we took care of all these kids who were at Ground Zero or who lived in Staten Island or Manhasset, where a lot of people had been working in the World Trade Center. I could tell you that the 3,000 deaths had a ripple effect, that we had post-traumatic stress disorder and grief and mourning that went on for at least a year, if not more, and it affected attendance in schools. But the difference was it was very circumscribed. It was a New York event. And so it didn't seem now in retrospect as overwhelming. It seems almost like a sprint. And this seems like an endless marathon. When kids get out, they are going to be more anxious. There is going to be more absenteeism. There is going to be a harder way of opening schools. Parents are going to feel the tension of their kids being away from them. We will have an after effect. I think right now, if you look at the hierarchy, it's housing security, it's food security, it's vaccine development. But the next wave is going to be mental health. Two days ago, we launched a free parent helpline for anybody who works for the New York City public hospitals. Because think about it, those are heroes. Those are people who are going into the war zone every day. They have to zip up. Yes. And they don't have to be a doctor or a nurse. They could be sweeping the floors or they could be the registrar mm -hmm. who's taking you in. They work 12-hour shifts. And if their kids are showing signs or symptoms of something, when are they going to be able to get help? And mm. so we decided from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night, we will give them a 30-minute consultation and figure out, is it something that they need to worry about or is it something we can advise them on with expert clinical advice to make things better? And more importantly, if they need to call us back, let's get them the same clinician so they could speak to the same person a second or third time. Because if we don't take care of them and they're taking care of us when we really get sick, when we might even die, I think that's, that's really awful. So those individuals are more likely to have PTSD when this is over. They're going to need a lot of tender, loving care, as well as most likely some interventions. Those are going to be the war zone, you know, the shell shock or the PTSD victims from this event. And there's also this economic divide. Can you imagine if all of a sudden you can't get a hold of food or not being able to pay the rent? There's a limit to how much stress one human being can take. And so you mm. could see about pushing people over the edge so that they feel hopeless and they get more irritable or they get more violent or they get more self-destructive. This is a real problem. And what bothers me currently is that we don't seem to be having leadership that is telling us 
this is how bad it is. We'll get you out of this forest. It's dark and awful, but just follow the path. And once you get out of here, we'll have stuff to take care of you too. Because one of the things I'm concerned about is that once you get kids back to school, how do schools mitigate the anxiety symptoms? How do you prevent them from saying, I don't want to come to school. I I mean, there's another barrier to learning. And our kids are going to be affected by this. The educational system has definitely been affected. Not everyone is getting everything, you know, from distance learning. Are the kids, because the general attitude sort of is that this doesn't affect children, has the fact that they feel like they can't physically die or do they feel they can physically die? Has that been of some comfort? Because there was polio. Children used to have all sorts of things that actually affected them. That must no, they were the really high, they were the ones who got it most. The kids who had yeah. polio. But I think that you've seen exactly an example of that, which is that little kids are certainly worried because they don't understand that they most probably are protected from this. But then look at Clearwater, that beach in Florida during spring break, and you have all these adolescents, college age students. Yes on top of each other, and they interview one of them and he says, well, I'm not worried, I'm not going to get it, you know, I'm in, invincible. And he went back to Ohio and what did he do? Uh, who knows how, if we traced him, how many people that he gets sick? Yes. So I do think yes. that that confidence, that arrogance, first of all, of what adolescents are, you know, they see opportunity, they don't see risk, is very dangerous. And that's one of the reasons why this is so disconcerting. They're opening certain states, they're not opening other states, are we stopping all the airplanes from Atlanta who come to New York? I mean, I don't think so. So it's very hard to handle this with so many different states following different rules and regulations. Yes. And I am telling you that what makes people upset is uncertainty. And if you have someone telling you the facts, even if they're bad facts, you're much better off of saying, okay, I understand. Make me do these five steps and I'll hold my breath for a certain amount of time and I'll sacrifice for a certain amount of time, but I know I'm getting out of here. And kids respond the same way. Uncertainty makes them more rambunctious, more oppositional, more defiant, and makes them worried. Wow. That's ex- it's funny, you aunt, I was about to ask that question. I was going to ask, do kids react the same way? Because I felt like as a kid, if my parent told me to do anything, my favorite thing my mom did was she told me what end was in sight. Yes. It was never an unending chore. It was never an unending anything. It was always like, this is what you must do. And when you are finished this, it is done. Yes. And then no matter what I was going through. I mean, school is a good example. Yes. I knew when the school day would end. Thank Jesus for that. <laughs> yes. I mean, But if, that's one of the reasons... To me, by the way, when you're talking to your kids about school, if you start saying, we don't know if school's opening in September or too much information. Let's just get Mm. through this week. Just think about it. The more you think about the future, it's anxiety provoking because there's so much uncertainty. So if you want to protect your child, part of the structure is to say, I don't think you have to worry about it. I'm in charge. I'll take care of it. Let's just worry about this week. Should you pretend like I know growing up, my parents were human beings or are human beings, but you don't know when they're having terrible times or good times, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, personally. They kept things from you. They kept things from you, you know. Is it good for parents to keep things from the children so that the children have like a safe person to look at? So, so I, the parent I, doesn't come and say, ah, the world is ending. That would be a bad they, idea. They lie. Right, but I think it would be a good idea if you're having a bad day to say, I'm having a really bad day. I'm unnerved by the fact that I can't get my work done or I'm worried about a friend of mine who got sick. 
But the way I'm going to deal with this is that I feel really better when I call my mom, your grandma, for 15 minutes. Mm. Uh, or I'm going to take some time off right now. I'm going to take a bath. Or I'm just going to read a book. I'm going to read two chapters of a book. I need a little space. Because that's a great model. Your son or daughter is saying, you know what? They're not Superman. They're not Superwoman. But they know yes. how to recover because 15 minutes, a half an hour later, they see that you've bounced back. You know, there used to be a theory that you're supposed to let everything hang out in front of your kids. That's a bad idea. Like if you're going to fight with your spouse, really go to the basement, go take a walk, find a place to fight that doesn't. Remember, I said the kids are going to get nervous. You're going to get a divorce. You can yes. have an argument, but there's no reason to have the secondary effects or the collateral damage be your children. Yes. Okay. Harold, this has been amazing. Thank you very much. Oh. Have we I gotten think, rid um, of kid power? I just want to make sure. You've given yeah. me a lot to think about. I think I'm going to go back to the drawing board. Yeah. I, I will do a lot more research. And this time I'll consult with you yes. before I apply for the company registration. I'm so glad. And before we do a fundraise, that would be also a good yeah. 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 <laughs> um, But really, thank you so much. And um, I know you said you're only taking in four. And if you guys have capacity, if there are caregivers out there who do need help, is there anyone they can reach out to? Are there any organizations you'd recommend? Where can people go? So first and foremost, childmind.org has robust parent resources. Every day okay. we have a Facebook Live that answers questions and a clinician is talking about how to parent during the time of coronavirus. Okay, childmind.org. And twice a week it's in Spanish. And we have telehealth now. So that if someone needs us, we're priding ourselves on we're here during the crisis and we'll be here beyond. And there's a lot of free resources also. That's well, thank so you very much, Harold. I really appreciate it. And um, hopefully we'll get to chat again once this is all done. I think people out there will really appreciate what you, you've had to say. Definitely. Thank you. For thank that. you. Tune in next time to the Trevor Noah podcast as we chat about life after coronavirus. Do we live with it? And how does the world change? Someone told me that cinemas are going to show us a movie one by one. I don't know how true this is, but we'll chat about it on the podcast. The Trevor Noah podcast is presented by Luminary and Prologue Projects. This episode was produced by Katya Kumkova with editorial oversight by Leon Nafak and Andrew Parsons. Terence Bernardo is our audio engineer. The show was recorded with the help of David Paul Meyer. I'm Trevor Noah, joined as always by my great friend, David Kibuka. We'll catch you next time. If you're enjoying this conversation, join us over on Luminary for a full catalog of episodes from the Trevor Noah podcast, plus even more coming September 2nd. Go to luminary.link slash Trevor Noah to subscribe and save up to 40% when you sign up for an annual plan. Not available in all markets and subject to local currency. Terms apply.